Good morning. Well, this morning we are going to witness the baptism of individuals who have come and professed faith in Jesus Christ. And today they want to identify with Jesus in his death, burial, and resurrection through baptism and publicly profess their faith in Jesus Christ alone before us all today. We'll also share in the Lord's table together. If uh, you haven't already grabbed a communion cup, maybe send one of your party to the back and grab enough for everyone. Uh, We'll be sharing in that a little later, and we want you to be ready for that. Neither baptism nor communion are themselves the gospel, the good news. Neither baptism nor communion are in and of themselves able to save us. Though they are important, and though they point to the gospel and witness to the gospel in important ways, they are not the gospel, and they do not and cannot save us by participating in them. That doesn't make them unimportant or optional But it does distinguish them from the gospel itself. The gospel, of course, is the good news that through faith in Jesus' finished work on the cross and his resurrection from the dead, our sins can be forgiven. And so I thought I would preach the gospel this morning. I try to preach the gospel every Sunday. But I thought I would preach the gospel this morning by turning our attention to a single verse of Scripture which beautifully encapsulates the gospel. And there's a few places in Scripture where we could turn to and find the good news of the gospel message presented concisely in a single verse. We just studied one not long ago in 1 Peter. 1 Peter 2.24 says this, And he himself, Jesus, bore our sins in his body on the cross, so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness, for by his wounds you were healed. A beautiful, concise statement of gospel truth, the good news of Jesus Christ. Another one, Romans 6.23. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Another singular verse putting forth the glorious gospel message succinctly. 2 Corinthians 5.21 God made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. But as great as these verses are at encapsulating the gospel in a single verse, there is probably no verse in all of Scripture that does a better job of encapsulating the gospel with greater clarity than John 3.16. And so that's where we're going to focus our attention this morning. John 3.16. So if you would, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to John 3.16. Some of you may be saying, I don't need to turn there. I memorized that as a kid. How many of you have John 3.16 memorized? Okay, lots of us do, right? It's probably the most familiar verse in all of the Bible. It's the one you see held up on a sign sometimes at a football game even. So it's, it's very familiar, John 
Some of you may have already even checked out of my sermon, which is record time for some of you. You think, John 3.16, really? That is so basic. I already know it. I could preach it. Well, you're welcome to come try if you'd like. I learned it as a child. Well, I'm glad you did. I'm glad you're so familiar with it. While there are tremendous benefits to being very familiar with something, there's also an inherent danger in familiarity, right? I mean, we know that. We live in a gorgeous state, do we not? Thought I'd get an amen on that one. Yeah, we do. I mean, who's got the best view of Pikes Peak here, right? I mean, look, you can look right now. Normally, I discourage that, but, you know... (laughs) It's amazing, right? And, and we see it every day. We drive into work and, you know, and we kind of take it for granted because we're so familiar with it. And then we have out-of-town guests come and they go, how do you live here and, and not just find yourself staring at it? And you go, well, I don't know, you know. And then you look at it and you, again, you go, wow, that is pretty incredible. Familiarity can breed contempt sometimes. And sadly, sometimes that's what happens even with the scriptures. We're so familiar with a passage or with a topic or subject that we fail to see the glory and the beauty of what's there simply because we're so familiar with it. We rush past it. We go, I already know that. I've already seen that. I've already seen Pikes Peak. Yeah, look again. Look again. For those of you who perhaps think this is too familiar a subject, here's a little true-false quiz for you. True-false, okay? Jesus is the main subject of John 3.16. True or false? False! Jesus is not the main subject of John 3.16. God the Father is the main subject of John 3.16. Believe it or not, familiarity can cause us to miss things that are there and to assume things that aren't there. You see, the gospel is like water for the Christian. Without water, we can't survive. You know, it's not good enough for us to say, well, I had water last week. Well, I had water a month ago, so I should be good. Why are you bringing out water again? Well, water gives life, it refreshes, it comforts, it soothes, it sustains us, and we need it daily, just like the gospel. No matter how familiar a verse like John 3.16 might be to us, we always stand in need of hearing it again and refreshing ourselves in its clear gospel promises. The great Awakening preacher George Whitfield was preaching a series of meetings and he continued preaching from John 3.16 night after night after night in the same location. And when the people complained and they began to question him about it, he responded, when I believe you understand and have accepted this verse, we'll move on to others. John 3.16, may the Lord help us understand it and accept it this morning. 
as gospel truth. John 3.16. Let me read it for us, all right? John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. This is the word of God. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, teach us this morning of the Father's great love and of your great sacrifice. Show us our need of a Savior. Convict us of our own sin. And show us the love of God and the forgiveness that is ours through faith alone in Jesus Christ. Teach us, we pray, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, Martin Luther, the great Reformation preacher, called John 3.16 the heart of the Bible. He also called it the gospel in miniature. The gospel in miniature. And that's where I've gotten my title for this morning's message from Luther. The gospel in miniature. Indeed, it is the gospel in miniature. John 3.16 gives us the fullness of the gospel message in but a few words. Listen to what one commentator said about this. This verse sums up the entire gospel in one lovely sentence, so rich in content that if a man had only these words and nothing of the rest of the Bible, he could, by truly apprehending them, be saved. In other words, if this is all the scripture you had, you would have enough to be saved, to know God's love and to know the Son's sacrifice on your behalf and how to receive it. F.F. Bruce, the great commentator, says this in John 3.16, the essence of the saving message is made unmistakably plain in language which people of all races, cultures, and times can grasp. And so effectively is it set forth in these words that probably many more have found the way of life through them than through any other biblical text. Probably many more have found the way of salvation through this text than probably any other. The gospel is here. It sits before us, ready for us to dive in and grasp its beauty. So let's look with fresh eyes and open hearts, John 3.16. And this morning, briefly, I want us to see five reasons the gospel really is good news. Five reasons the gospel really is good news. Gospel means good news. The word gospel in the New Testament means good news. And it truly is good news. All right? So from John 3.16, five reasons the gospel really is good news. First of all, It is the good news that God loves you. The gospel is the good news that God loves you. For God so loved the world. This really is good news. You may not even realize how good a news this is. This is not only a statement of fact that God loves you. And that he gave his son for you. But it is a statement of both the extent and the intensity of God's love for us. We might say it this way. For this is how much God loved the world. 
This is how much he loved the world. He sent his only son. There's no greater proof of the greatness of God's love for us than in the sending of his son for us. You may think at times, you may be tempted to think, God doesn't love me. God doesn't care about me. He couldn't possibly love me. If he, he knows what I've done. He knows I'm guilty. How could he love me? Or you may be tempted to, to doubt God's love because of the difficult things that you've encountered in your life, the hardships you've faced, the abuse you've received. You may think, God can't love me. He wouldn't treat me like this if he loved me. Well, simply look at the fact that he sent his only son and that is the proof that he loves you. There's no greater proof of the greatness of God's love for us than in the sending of his son for us. God so loved the world. The world, that's us. That's you and me and every person who's ever lived. God so loved the world. That's all of us. The term world refers to the totality of humanity in all of its sin and fallenness. World doesn't refer to the population of humanity all cleaned up and in their Sunday best. No, world refers to the totality of humanity and all of its fallenness and brokenness and rebellion against a holy God. And despite that sin and rebellion and fallenness and brokenness, God loves us anyway and sends his son for us. He loved us, not because we were so lovable. No, he loved us despite our sin. Romans 5, 8 said, God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. No, he loved us because he is a loving God. God is love, John says in 1 John. That is who God is. And as God is, so God does. He loves us with that unconditional agape love, that love that sacrifices for the good of another, that love that sets itself upon the unlovable. And so it's my privilege to tell you the good news this morning that God loves you. God loves you. And he has proven that love once and for all and, and forever. In the giving of his own son. He loves you despite your sin, despite your past. He loves you and he is ready to extend to you this morning his grace and mercy and forgiveness. Why? Because he loves you. you believe it? He loves you. Second, second reason the gospel really is good news. Because it's the good news that God sent his son for you. God demonstrated, he showed and proved his love for us by sending his only begotten son as a gift for us. Jesus is God's son. Jesus of Nazareth. 
Jesus is God's son. The, the term only begotten here in my translation refers to the fact that he is singular and unique and dearly loved. The Son of God is the eternal Son of God. He never had a beginning. He was never born as the Son of God. Of course, we know in the incarnation, Jesus was born of the Virgin Mary. The Son of God become man. But the Son of God never had a beginning. No, only begotten refers to the fact that Jesus is the unique Son of God. And dearly loved of the Father. And it was this one and only Son who God gave as a gift for us and to us. You see, God's love for us that we've just talked about is not mere sentimentality. It's not the love of mere emotion. God's love for us is sacrificial. It is giving It is active. It is effective. It is practical. It is need meeting. It is a rescuing love. God's love acts, and it acts on our behalf, and it gives that which is most treasured in order to provide for our greatest need. John Calvin said this of this verse and of the truth of God's proving his love by sending his son. He says, For as men are not easily convinced that God loves them, in order to remove all doubt, he has expressly stated that we are so very dear to God that on our account he did not even spare his only begotten son. We might be slow to think that God loves us. But let the truth of his sending of his son speed us on toward belief and acceptance of that great truth of God's love. 1 John 4.9 says this, By this the love of God was manifested in us that God has sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. God gave you his greatest gift, his own son. And he did it motivated out of sheer love for you and for me. A third reason the good news is good news. The good, because it's the good news that perishing is not required. Good news, you don't have to die in your sins. You don't have to perish. God has made a way by sending His Son. What does it mean to perish? Well, it means to die in your sins. To die with the guilt of your sins hanging over your head. The guilt of your sins unremoved, bearing the full burden of what it means to stand guilty before a holy God. To perish means that we not only experience physical death, 
but that we will, after experiencing physical death, experience an eternity of spiritual death. To perish is to die without our sins being forgiven and to face the just judgment of God for our sins in an eternity of suffering in hell. That's not pleasant. It's not fun to hear about. It's difficult to contemplate. It makes us uncomfortable. But that's what our sins deserve. The just penalty for our sin against God who created us, who made us, who wants us to fellowship with Him. The just penalty for our sin against Him is that we suffer eternally. And that's just. That's not God being a monster. That's God being good and righteous and holy. But God in His love said you don't have to perish. If you perish, it's your decision to. If you perish, it's because you've refused God's gracious offer of His own Son to stand in your place and take your guilt upon Himself. You don't have to perish. Beloved, that is truly good news. You don't have to die in your sins. You don't have to die and stand before your Creator and give an account for your life and hear those words, guilty. You don't have to perish. God loves us and gave us His only Son so that we might not perish because He loves us. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He takes no delight in the death of the wicked, but urges them to repent and believe. Well, the good news that perishing is not required is quickly followed by the good news that God offers you eternal life. Not only do you not perish, but you're given The gift of eternal life. What is eternal life? Well, it is the opposite of perishing. Whatever perishing is, and all the negative and bad that that means, the polar opposite is eternal life, eternal blessing, eternal joy, eternal fellowship with God Himself and with the company of the redeemed. Whoever believes in Him, in Jesus, shall not perish, but have eternal life. This is the good news. The good news of being in the presence of God for all eternity, knowing the infinite joy of His fellowship. Eternal life, which is not something we wait for, but that becomes ours at the moment of faith in Jesus. Today, I stand before you with the assurance of God's Spirit and God's Word and tell you that I have eternal life. It is my possession today, and it will be mine forever, and no one can take it from me. Because I am secured, not by my own merits, not by my own efforts or works, not by my own service to God even. I am secure in the eternal life God has given me because it is founded upon 
The work of Jesus Christ finished at the cross and sealed by the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. That can be yours too. Simply by faith. This is the good news. That perishing is not required, but that instead I can have eternal life and I can know that it's mine. Not hope that it's mine, but know that it's mine. John wrote, 1 John, these things are written so that you may know that you have eternal life. Romans 6.23 says, The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The payment for our sins is perishing. But the free gift God offers us is eternal life through faith in Jesus Christ. There's no greater promise you could receive than the promise of eternal life. And that promise of eternal life is offered to all. It is offered to you this morning by nature of the fact that you're here, that you're hearing my voice, that you're hearing this message, that you're hearing this verse. God is offering to you eternal life today. Yours to receive simply by faith. Whoever believes has eternal life. Whoever has faith, these gospel promises of John 3.16 and of all the scripture are offered to all and given to whomever has faith in Jesus. And that brings us to our final reason that the gospel is good news. Fifth, the good news that faith in Jesus is all that is needed. It's all you need. This may be the best news of all. God's gospel promise is not received by earning it. His promise to us in the gospel is a gift. Freely given. Graciously bestowed. Just as his sending of his son, Jesus, to us was a gift. And gifts, by their very nature, can't be earned or deserved. Or they're not gifts. If something is earned or deserved, then it isn't a gift. It's a payment for services rendered. It's what is owed to you. And my friends, nothing is owed to us except the just judgment of God. Because of our sins. That's what's owed to us. But instead of giving what we're owed, what we're due, what we've earned, what we deserve, God instead grants us His grace. He gifts us His pardon. He bestows upon us His very Son so that our position is forever altered. Our circumstance is forever changed. Our guilt is forever taken away. Our acceptance in the Beloved is forever secured. So how do we receive this gift? Well, how do you receive any gift? You simply take it. You believe that it's given to you as a gift and you receive it. We receive it by faith. Believing that Jesus is indeed God's son. And that 
as God's Son, Jesus, died on the cross as our substitute and that He rose again from the dead. We receive God's gift of forgiveness of sin by trusting in Jesus alone. I love what Martin Luther said of this verse. He said, This gift and present, the Father's Son, is not acquired with hand, finger, or foot. It's not acquired by your hand, your finger, or your foot. It's not acquired by doing more, by being better, by cleaning up your life. It's not acquired by any effort or merit or work on our behalf. This gift and present, the Father's Son, is not acquired by hand, finger, or foot. It is not found in a cloister or a monk's habit, nor is it contained in any vessel. It is grasped solely with the heart and by faith. It is grasped solely with the heart and by faith. This is good news. Good news. Salvation and forgiveness and eternal life are not achieved by our merit or our effort. It never could be. We could never be good enough in God's eyes to merit forgiveness or eternal life. But instead, God gives it to us as a gracious gift received simply by faith, trusting in Jesus alone. Salvation is not achieved by a program of self-improvement or self-discipline, but by faith in Jesus alone. Have you received God's free gift of forgiveness and salvation by believing on Jesus and trusting in Him as your Savior? You can know with certainty. Do you know with certainty? Do you have that assurance that that God is, is welcoming you to himself because you have received the gracious gift of his son, Jesus, by faith. You can today. The Bible tells us, John three sixteen. that's the only verse you need to know. The Bible has a lot of things to say, but right now this is all we need to focus our attention on. God loves you, and he sent his only son for you so that you might not perish but have eternal life. This is the gospel. This is the good news. Believe it today and be saved. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Let's pray. Our Lord God, we thank you for your great love for us. We are mystified by it. We're in awe of it. We don't understand it. We don't fully comprehend it. It doesn't make sense why you would love us, but, but you do. And we're grateful for that fact. And that you proved your love, you demonstrated it by giving your son your only son, your prized and treasured and dearly loved son, to come to this earth and live a sinless life and be rejected by men and die on the cross as a substitute for sinners 
as he who knew no sin became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. We thank you for the gift of salvation that you offer it to whoever believes. Lord, I pray that maybe even some here today, right now, would believe on your son. That they would confess their sin just in the quietness of their own seat, just praying to you, confessing their sin and their guilt before you, and simply receiving by faith Jesus Christ as their Savior, believing that he is the all-sufficient sacrifice for sin. We thank you, God, for your mercy and love. We thank you, Jesus, for your sacrifice and your substitution on our behalf. And now, Lord, we celebrate along with those who have done just that, who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ and now, through baptism, testify of their faith in Jesus. We celebrate that. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.